And good morning. So glad to see all of you guys here. My name is Hillary Start, and this is my home. And I hope that if you've been coming here for a while, that this feels like your home too. And if this is your first or maybe second or third time, that this begins to feel like a welcome, loving place where you can just be yourself. Um, I was sharing with some friends that I feel like there's just an extra amount of grace here this morning. And I was thinking too about how sometimes I go to my friends' houses and I realize I have forgotten to give my kids, all of my kids, their shoes. So if you came and you forgot your shoes this morning or you don't feel completely put together, that's okay. This is a place where you can just be yourself. You can come and be welcomed and loved. Uh, we've been going through a series called The Reset, and it's been so good. It's been speaking to my soul, and I hope it has been for you too. Last week, Pastor Steve spoke about the church, and if you have missed any of our messages, you can go online to edgerora.com and listen to one of those. Um, this week, Brandy and Neil, Pastor Neil and Brandy are going to share on marriage. We're so excited to hear from them. Um, I'm just going to take a quick minute and bless them and thank them for bringing the word this morning. Um, would you guys actually just stand with me real quick? And I would love if you would join me in just having a receiving posture before the Lord. If you don't want to, totally okay. Um, the Lord knows how your spirit feels this morning. So God, I thank you so much for Pastor Neil and for Brandy and the heart that they are bringing this morning for loving one another in marriage and walking with one another in marriage and encouraging one another. And I thank you, God, that in all of our relationships, you invite us to learn from you and how you relate as the Trinity and how you relate to us. And so this morning, God, we are expectant that your spirit is going to blow in this place, that it's going to teach each one of us. And I just ask for a special grace and anointing to be on Brandy and on Neil this morning. Um, just lift them up before you, God, and thank you so much for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, normally we don't uh, sit on stage, but we kind of thought that it'd be a good idea just to, we're talking about marriage, we're preaching together, I can't explain how awkward it is, like if we were both standing together, and have you ever been in a situation where you know that you're coming next, so you wouldn't be off stage, but standing there and acting like, oh, wow, that was a really good point, is kind of awkward. Uh, but, but today, I, I don't know if you saw how long it took me to uh, walk out on stage. Uh, I hurt my back yesterday. I uh, could hardly uh, stand up on my own this morning. So um, I'm heavily medicated. I'm thankful for that. Um, so I, I'm hoping that uh, uh, medication, coffee, and the Holy Spirit, along with my wife's support, will, uh, will get us through today. Um, so I got uh, just a couple announcements before we uh, start talking about what it looks like to love one another in marriage. And the first one is that, um, guys, we want you to be a part of Tribe. Um, I went to my first Tribe last year. How many of you guys go to Tribe? That was underwhelming. Okay, so I want you guys to sign up for Tribe. You will not regret it, I promise. September 27th through 29th, we're going to be in Oregon, Illinois, and it is, uh, the, the camp is called Stronghold, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time. Um, the guys that have been working hard on tribe, uh, this, is, this is actually the first year that the elders have not been the primary shapers of tribe. So we're super excited that, that there are other people that are, that are shaping tribe this year, and uh, some of us really get to go and, and be more a part of it instead of just leading, which is awesome for leaders, by the way. So um, come and support the guys that have really poured a whole lot of energy and strength out to be a part of this, uh, to, to make something really good for us, and we just want you to come and be a part of it. You can sign up online, edgerora.com slash tribe. Do that today. Also, community groups are starting. Community is a huge thing to, to us here at The Edge, and we just invite you, um, if you're sort of wondering where you fit in the life of the church, community really is where you find it. Um, you, you find it in serving, you find it in connection, Community is a huge value that we have here, so you can also go online and uh, get connected to a community group. Um, so, let's get going. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Um, guys, I've heard, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I've heard pastors joke. I remember when I was really young in ministry, and I heard pastors say things like this. And it's kind of in that um, funny, not funny, sorry, not sorry kind of way, but they would say things like, hey, you know, church work would be really amazing if it weren't for the people. 
Have you guys heard that kind of thing before? And it might, you might be like, oh no, pastors couldn't possibly think that. Well, we do. It's true. There are times that we think that. But the reality is, it's the same reason you guys feel that way sometimes with people. And sometimes with the job. Maybe uh, the job title that you have is more exciting than, than the actual work that you do. Remember when you first got that offer uh, for your job and you're so excited, hey, I'm going to be, and you, you share the title, and at the end of the week you're just like, ah, man, the title was way, way cooler than the actual job. This is hard because people, people are hard. We're, we're hard. We're, we're difficult. All of us, to some degree, are just difficult to deal with because we're people, right? People are just difficult to deal with at, at times. Having babies is thrilling. How many of you guys remember, if, you, if you've had kids, your, your first child? You were mesmerized by your, by your child, right? You were mesmerized until you changed the 700th diaper. <laughs> and, and when you did that, you were no longer mesmerized. And, you were tr- and part of you is just like, I don't think I can do this. Everybody reaches that point um, with a job or with your kids. And the reality is that it's just, it's hard to consistently love people well, isn't it? It's really, really easy when you get married or when you have a brand new friendship to, to be in relationship with someone and, and, and you get along so well when, when you're dating. And just so you guys know, if you're in a dating relationship, just know that right now is when they are on their best behavior. For, for real. Uh, so, so sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, uh, we're, we're dating and we've had a lot of issues. I'm just like, time out. If you're having issues in dating, stop. But, but if, you, uh, if you see red flags when you're dating, um, probably put, hit, hit the pause button now. Uh, but the truth is, it is hard to consistently love people. But it's also a call that God gives us in Scripture, is to know how to love people well. And and don't be scared by that. You're not going to do it perfectly, and that's where grace is. You're not going to do it perfectly. Um, But the truth is, Scripture says that, that, that God loved us first, and He promised that He would give us every single thing that we need to do it well. Isn't that exciting? You don't have to dig into your bag of tricks to, to figure out how to do this. You can't, uh, you can't uh, self-talk your way into loving people really well, but God promised that he would give us everything that we need to live the lives that he's called us to. So, so the, the provider of all these things, all the gifts, all the goodness, it's God, and we just have to say yes. But the truth is, when we do messages like this, where we're talking about things like marriage or things like relationships, and we don't explain it well, here's what happens. In essence, we've given you all these high ideals, these high standards, and then we've left you with this really heavy burden that you actually feel guiltier about than you did when you first came in. So, so it's, it's our desire to not do that. We don't want to leave you with a perfect like guilt, shame, guilt storm. That's not our desire here today. Uh, we both love really practical theology. Um, I, I firmly believe that if, if you can't explain, um, you, if you can't explain how theology connects with your life, then you probably need to keep studying it until you can. Don't share it. Don't share it when you have no idea what it means. Don't share it when you have no idea how to give a practical application. So we want to make sure as a church that we are helping people move from right doctrine, so that's right belief, all the way to right practice. It's really, really important. Right doctrine only matters if you're actually practicing it. I would argue that it's not even complete unless you are practicing it. So we're going to try to do that today so that our words won't be burdensome to you, but so that you would be encouraged. So I'm just going to ask you guys to all pray with us right now because I, I, I need his words a lot more than I need mine. So would you guys just pray with me today? Father, uh, you promised that in our weakness, you are made strong. So Lord, uh, today as, as I'm hurting, and I know a lot of other people are hurting, and, and we're, we're all struggling with, with things, God, we, we just say to you that, that we are weak, and we ask for your strength. That's a promise from Scripture, so we receive that today. And we just pray, Lord, that you would enlighten us and encourage us. And whatever that, that you have to put on us, Lord, we just, we just choose to believe that it's not to make life harder for us, but it's to, it's to make life more whole for us. 
So we receive that today, Lord. I pray for open minds, open hearts, and I pray for feet that are willing to walk into whatever you've called them to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk again about what it looks like to love one another um, in marriage. And I want to start with uh, a passage from the Apostle Paul um, about marriage. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 through 9. He said this, I wish that all of you were as I am. How was Paul? Paul was single. (laughs) But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. You know what that means? It means that there is a gift of singleness. There is a gift of marriage. And he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Wow. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry. Too soon? (laughs) For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So we can see that Paul has quite an interesting take on marriage. Basically, he says, you should probably stay single unless you're too lusty. That's really what that means. Burning with passion. He's not talking about love. He's talking about if you're pretty sure that you can't stay right with God in your sex life, you need to get married. Wow. Interesting take, right? He, he has a, an interesting take. The reality is that Paul was so singularly focused on God's work that it appears that marriage actually did not make his list of priorities. But that doesn't mean that just because it was that way for Paul, that it should be that way for everyone. As a matter of fact, Paul multiple times in these passages says things like, it is I, Paul speaking, not the Lord. And other times he says, this is a directive from the Lord, not from me. So it's really important to note that, that he is saying that he actually has a very high view of singleness. Paul personally had a higher view of singleness than he did of marriage. Do you find that interesting? I find it interesting because oftentimes we don't really see that in the church, do we? Or there's a the perception that it's not really that way in the church. So Paul's view was clearly that singleness was better. He says, I wish everybody was single like me. However, in the Garden of Eden, God had a a, a different thought about it. And God's thought was that he declared that it was not good for man to be alone, so he created woman. So we see throughout the whole of Scripture, whether it's Paul talking or if it's the Lord himself, that that God values relationships and community, but relationships and community don't always look like marriage. Right? Sometimes we hear about relationships and we automatically think that God must care about marriage the most. Or maybe it could be that in our churches we haven't always represented that clearly enough to singles. So if you're, if you're single here today and you've felt maybe less than ever, I just want to say this. It's never been our intention to do that to you. So we, we apologize for that if we've ever said something that makes you feel less than. I also want to speak to singles for a minute. This, this message is for you too, and I'm just asking you with everything in me to resist turning off. And, and here's why. We're going to show you why it matters to you, why marriage matters to singles. And we promise not to suggest that you're not enough or that you're not complete unless you're married. Is that a deal? Can we do that today? Okay. Whether we like it or not, every single one of us in this room, we're here because of a man and a woman. Okay? Some of us don't like that. And and that man and that woman... To, to, to some degree, one way or, in the, or another, created good things for us and in us and also probably affected us in negative ways too. That's just the reality of life. And it's statistically likely that that couple brought you, the couple that brought you into the world was married. Statistically, that's just true for this generation. So marriage matters to every one of us. We need to care about marriage and relationships whether we're married or not or whether we are married or will be married or not, because God cares about it. And I am certain of this through all the counseling that I've done, that marriage determines how much therapy that we will need later in life and how much therapy that we will cause others to need later in life. 
I no, mean that no with pressure, all. No pressure, no pressure. But it's true. It is true. Uh, I, you know, that was probably a really weird first scripture to start with on a marriage sermon, right? You were probably expecting 1 Corinthians 13 or something like that. But I think what we really wanted to get across right off the bat is that our completion is not dependent on marriage by any means. In fact, marriage doesn't complete us. Christ completes us. And in Christ, we have absolutely everything that we need to be spiritually full and run with God and accomplish all the things that he has for us. In fact, Colossians 2, 9 through 10, Paul says this, For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And that is a continual bringing That means as you're living out this faith walk, the spirit inside you is, like we sang in that last song, more than enough to bring you to complete fullness and completion. One of the reasons that uh, I think it's so important to maybe start off with that is because, number one, over the years, I have seen people, personal friends of mine, that have gotten married hoping that that would do something to sort of complete them. And of course, we've seen that that doesn't work, does it? In fact, marriage will often tend to expose those areas that are weak in you. And uh, so another reason why Christ being the center of your marriage is so important, because when those weaknesses get exposed, how you're able to move on from that can hurt or heal, depending on if Christ is the ultimate goal and the one working through uh, that brokenness. And another reason that I, we really felt like it was important to start with the idea that we are complete in Christ and Christ alone is because, you know, some of my very favorite people in the world that I so admire their faith walks and the way that their faith is living out in their life are actually single. And many of those single uh, friends and family of mine do actually hope to be married. They had hoped to be married by this point. And I'll, I'll take, for example, my sister, and I'll ask her for permission later if it was okay that I gave her as an example. I just realized that. I don't think she'd mind. I really don't. Uh, but she is an example of somebody in my life who God is just, she is just, if you know her, you know what I'm saying. God's spirit is just evident in her life. And because of that, you wouldn't believe the opportunities that come her way. People asking her to do these crazy, random, adventurous things because they're pretty sure that her presence alone will show people God's love. And because of her singleness and her submission to Christ and her desire to grow in her faith, you wouldn't believe the things that she's able to say yes to. Seriously. And when she goes and says yes to these things, you wouldn't believe how much more full she is in Christ after having gone on those adventures and into those places and spaces. And most of those places are things that I really can't do because it would be putting my first order of importance on the back burner. So for me, when we talk about marriage, my thing is this. I know that for her, for example, she would love to be married. So because of that, I would love for her to be married too. But I would only want someone like her to be married to someone that is running as hard after God as she is. Because the only thing more sad to me than um, her not getting her, her hope of being married would be her getting derailed or slowed down in this faith journey that she is running so beautifully in. Does that make sense? And so I often counsel her, like, you know, don't settle for anyone unless they're running as hard or harder after God as you are. And actually, that's not my idea. That comes from Scripture. You know, in Hebrews 12.1, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders, or it says weighs us down, and the sin that so entangles us, so that we can run with endurance and perseverance the race marked out for us. We all have a different race. We all have a different lane. But I will say this. If you're single, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have less sin that entangles you. In fact, Paul addressed that. You might actually have more sin that could hinder you, especially in the sexual area. But it also says whatever weight could be hindering you. And I would like to suggest that the way she's running right now, part of it is because she doesn't have the weight of answering for other people. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. When you're running a race, 
If you're running on your own, that's one thing. If you're running this race marked out for you and you're married, your race looks more like a three-legged race. You know what I'm talking about? You remember being a kid we, at our Nicholson family reunion, we always had these sack races. And I had to ask Neil because as I get older, I'm always wondering, was that regional or do other people do this too? Yep, it was regional. And I'm regional. always finding out. I was in my 20s before I found out that the rest of the world doesn't get off school for deer day. Okay, I, I, I did not know that until I was like in college. I'm like, wow, we go to school on deer day. That, I guess college does that. She was today years old when she found that out. No, I was in college. Anyway, um, so I had to ask him, like, do other people do three-legged races, or was that just the Nicholson family in, in, in southern Indiana? So, but other people do them, right? You know Three, what I mean? Three-legged, yes. Sack race, no. So no. we put a set. That's how we got our legs in there. Anyway, if you're running this race, it says, run the race marked out for you. So I don't have to look at my sister and feel guilty that I don't go and do all these things that she does because I'm running a different race. Yeah. What God cares about is the race that is marked out for you. And if you are married, this can be good and this can be bad because it depends on who you're running with. But you are, in fact, running a three-legged race. And if you're single and you're looking maybe to get married or you're considering it now or in the future, consider whose leg you want to be attached to when you run this thing because that person is either going to propel you toward the fullness in Christ, or that person is going to slow you down. <laughs> and I, I was laughing this morning. I'm going to say something we didn't plan on. Is that oh, okay? gosh, no. Yes. You like that I asked if it's okay, and we know I'm going to do it anyway. So, but uh, the first day of when our kids went to school, it happened to be a Monday, his day off, and I didn't have anything to do, so we decided to go canoeing. And we canoed uh, up the Fox River, got in at... Uh, where else we go? No, Yorkville. Yorkville. We get in at Yorkville, and we end up going for like six miles, decide to go for a few more because I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, this is easy, actually. But you know, <laughs> it took me a while before I realized that if I actually took my paddle out and just kind of hung out, I realized we weren't really slowed down very much. And so I realized that the pace that we were going was actually um, because of the exertion that he was giving. And I was just more of a fixture. I don't know. Uh, it was kind of eye-opening to realize, wow, I, I would have thought we would have slowed down when I stopped paddling. Um, <laughs> and so that would be why when we went to bed that night, you were complaining about your shoulders, and I'm like, right. I'm fine. Right. Uh, yeah. Marriage, here, marriage, everyone. Marriage. So here's the thing. When we talk about uh, running the race marked out for us, we want to make sure that we understand that our completion comes in Christ. So you can be complete if you're not married. You can be complete if you are married. You can be incomplete if you're married. And you can be incomplete if you're not. Because the goal of every Christian uh, after salvation is to grow in Christ. When we grow in Christ and we mature in Christ, we will look more like him. And that is his whole point, isn't it? It's so that other people will experience and know the love of God, which we, of course, cannot express as Christians unless we know it and have experienced it ourselves. So the question, I'm going to give you questions, and if it, if it just seems like it hits you, then write it down, because then that question is for you. The question today is, I want us to resist thinking about Hey, are you listening to this? You know, the, the token marital, like, knee squeeze. I'm or, listening, I'm listening. I want you to resist when you hear this about, you know, being attached to someone who's a dead weight. <laughs> I want you to resist hoping that your spouse gets how they're being the dead weight. And I actually want you to ask this question. Am I, if you are married, am I propelling my spouse in his or her spiritual growth? Am I propelling them or am I pulling them back? If that question resonates with you at all, write it down and then go into the places with God this week and ask him to reveal that to you. That's good. I, I want to talk just a minute about this race that Brandy's referring to. Um, what we're talking about today is Christian marriage at its best. And, and I, I say it like that because when, when we read in Scripture, 
We, we recognize that not everybody here is a Christian. Um, it's, we're still talking about marriage. We also recognize that, that none of us are operating from a place of Christian marriage at its best because we all know this, that God's standards are way higher than what we can do. We can't fulfill all this. And, and that's where we just thank the Lord for his grace. So, so this, is not a, this is not a list of if I, if I do all these 10 things right, then I, then I get like a, a, a super extra great mansion in heaven. That's just not the reality. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we don't have enough. And when we submit ourselves and we thank him for what he's given us, he makes us enough. Does that make sense? So let's always look, look, kind of look through it and look for grace. Um, we also want to suggest quickly, we can't talk about this much today, but, but um, there's nothing in the Bible at all that suggests that God wants any of you to make yourselves doormats or to subject yourself to abusive marriages. We want to be really, really clear about that. We also want, um, we, we want you to know, like, we do want to talk about this, but that's a totally separate sermon, Okay. And, and we encourage you to invite your friends and family, anyone who may have been in an abusive relationship, to come back in October because we're actually going to have a whole Sunday on the subject of domestic violence and the church's response to it uh, next month for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we encourage you to come back. It's just too important to, to give just a little piece. We're actually going to do a whole message related to that next month. Um, but before we get into to kind of practical application, I think it's important for us to sort of set this up with a couple of questions. And the first one is, is what is God's heart for marriage? What is God's overall heart for marriage? And what is the main idea behind it? And Brandy's going to jump into that. Yeah. So, so what is God's heart for marriage? Well, his heart for marriage is the same thing as his heart for every single person. It's always to show his love and what it looks like. This is just another tangible way for every single person on earth to see a physical representation of how Jesus loved us. It even instructs the man, the husband, to love his wife the way that Jesus loved the church. And how far did that love go? How sacrificial was that love? He went so far for the love of you and of me that he not only died for us, he continues to work with us to make us more holy. So when we consider, like, why this marriage thing, there are things that marriage will do. Uh, God wants us to enjoy it. He wants it to be a great relationship for us so that we're not lonely, so that we have someone to walk through this life with. But even bigger than that, marriage is a gift, and God's gifts are good gifts. And even though we don't always see the perfect representation of that, that was his ideal. That was his idea. His idea was that we would have this one particular type of relationship on earth, the marriage, that we could look at and say, okay, I can kind of wrap my mind around what Jesus is to me. Because we're not, it's too big for us. We don't see God physically. Most of us don't hear from God audibly. I know I never have. Uh, many of us don't feel him in a physical and tangible way. Uh, so, so we need something we can see, we can touch, we can look at and observe and say, okay, I get it. So when one person chooses someone else, pursues that person, and pours everything into wooing and loving and understanding and nurturing and walking through this life with another person, that is how Jesus sees you. He didn't just take pity on us because we were sinful and we just needed a rescuer, although that's part of it. He actually is, he's in awe of us. He adores us. He loves us. He's wowed by us. And he walks with us through life's journeys. And this is the physical representation of what God's love looks like for us. And so in the original, in the garden when he gave Adam and Eve, he told them to subdue the earth, to fill the earth. But you know what? That's not just about procreation. That's part of it. But it's about subduing the earth with, he says, be fruitful. And all throughout the rest of the Bible, there's many times where he makes references to fruit and uses the same word. And he's not just talking about apples and oranges, and it's not just about procreation. What he's talking about is I'm going to use you two to subdue this, this earth and to fill the earth with a representation 
of my love, of who I am. I want to fill this earth with all my love and my character and my essence, which is also known as his glory. And so when it comes to bearing fruit, that was part of this idea of this good gift. My marriage, your marriage, is actually supposed to bear fruit. And when you, when you just use your common sense and you just think about fruit, what are the kinds of things that, that, that characterize fruit? What kind of descriptors would you imagine when you think of like what fruit is? What does fruit do? Well, fruit nourishes, doesn't it? Fruit is good for us. It, it builds up our immunities. It, it, it builds up defenses against getting things like diseases and illness. Fruit multiplies because it has seed. Fruit, it, it tastes good. It should be enjoyable. I mean, so it's not just that it's perfunctory. It's not just that it's spiritual. But God is good. And the gift of marriage is supposed to be good. We don't always see that because we have an amazing ability in our fallen state to take any gift God's given us, not just marriage, but any gift God's given us, and we can taint it or pervert it. We can do that in a lot of ways, specifically with marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a good gift. It's supposed to bear fruit. It's supposed to do all these things. But like any gift, we can take that gift of marriage and we can neglect it. What good is a gift that somebody gives you if you don't ever, you know, take the tags off and wear it, you know? We can neglect this gift. We can abuse the gift. And we can treat it in a way that God does not ordain. We can also idolize the gift. And we can look at that as so spiritual and so good. Yes, I'm supposed to love him, but again, my completion does not come in him. One day, and this is kind of a sad thought, but one day, one of us will likely statistically be on this earth without the other. There's a reason we love the movie Notebook, and it's because that's not how everybody goes out. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> we don't all get to just be like, I love you, I love you too. Okay, let's go. You know, it's not like that. Chances are, you, you existed on this earth prior to that wedding day, and chances are one of you is going to exist on this earth without the other for a time. And so let's enjoy this gift while we have it, and let's bear fruit. And I think we can all nod our heads and go, yeah, yeah, I want to bear fruit. Well, the question is, how do I bear fruit? And, you know, I can't tell you that, those specifics in your marriage. You'll know the specifics better than I will know the specifics of how to bear fruit. But I can tell you the overarching theme. Because Jesus told us how we bear fruit. Not just in marriage, but as individuals. He tells us we bear fruit by staying attached to the vine. And he calls himself the vine. We're the branches. And when we remain in him, in John 15, he says, Remain in me as I remain in you, so that you will bear much fruit. He also talks about pruning at times, so that you can bear more. Just because you go through hard times in your marriage does not mean that you're getting it all wrong. It could be that God's pruning some things which I can't imagine that pruning is an actual pleasant feeling. If, like, if we personify and imagine that, that you know, fruit-bearing thing being a, a physical being, I can't imagine that it would feel good. So there are times that you might go through these exposures or this, ah, there's this thing, we gotta, we gotta work this out. It could be that God is pruning you so that you can get back to times that are even richer. And I'm gonna go off script just a second. You're not surprised, right? I'm very surprised. Yeah. So uh, just for a second, because when I, as I'm saying that, it's coming to me that when I think about the times that uh, were hardships for us, uh, that, that it was just like, oh, you know, the, these rubs or whatever. I look back and when I see that when we get on the other side of it, but I can trust that he's going back to God and he can trust that I'm going back to God. So individually, we have to remain in Christ, abiding in him. So here's the thing. When we do that, we can get over these trials, and God actually promises to strengthen us, to help us to persevere through the trial. So it could be that your trials, and I know I've seen that for us, when we've gone through trials, but we come out on the other side, there's something about it that's extremely empowering. There's this confidence that comes through knowing that, hey, if we got through that thing in 2004 that we did together, if we got through that thing that we got through in 2011, 2013, that grief, 
that job loss, that mental illness, uh, that uncertain time, that time of tumultuous interactions, if we got through that, and I actually love you more today than I did then, then what can't we get through? There's a confidence that God wants you to have, and it's not about avoiding all of the trials, but it's about trusting that if we remain in Him and we abide in Him, which means obey, it's about listening to His voice and obeying it. That's what abiding is. If we stay in that, we can trust that He will take even our trials and even our hardships, and out of that, this love will go deeper. I want you to imagine just for a second what, what it could look like um, if we would choose to individually stay in Christ. And, and that's not supposed to be some mystical statement, but, but staying in Christ, is, it's a choice. It's positioning ourselves to be connected to the Lord. And, and we do that in different ways. Um, some of us, Brandy loves to go out in nature, read scripture, connect with God through all the things that, that, that's happening around or outside. Um, reading scripture, praying. Praying is just dependence on God. If, if we're not praying, we're not really, we're, we're telling God we're not really dependent on him because we're not inviting him into our lives, into our situations. It, it's all of these things. Imagine if we individually chose to be actively in Christ, how much more satisfying and joyful and safe our marriages would be. Um, you, you, we see statistics on, on marriage, and, and um, in the Christian community, statistics on marriage are pretty, pretty poor as well, uh, just like the rest of the world. So I, I just wonder if it's because we often claim the name of Jesus, but then we don't put in the time to be in Christ as, we, as we're supposed to. Uh, you know, do, does that kind of resonate with you guys? Like, um, if we would, not that we're not going to be pruned no matter what, because I can tell you that I feel like since I became a Christian, God has just pruned me daily. I, I, don't think I, I, I don't think I've had a time since becoming a Christian that, that I haven't felt like I was going through something. How about you? Anybody? Has anybody just had like, man, when I, when I became a Christian, it just got so easy. Said no Christian ever. It really is. If, if I don't know, I, I've, I've heard people talk about, you know, kind of your, everything's going to get great once you become a Christian. Uh, I wish that were true, yeah. and that's not been my experience, and it's not been the experience of most people that I know that are in Christ. So um, I just think it'd be amazing. So here's the second idea we want to share with you today about what it looks like to love one another in marriage. Um, loving one another in marriage is about helping your spouse to become whole. Um, wholeness is a, is a huge, huge thing to me personally. I remember probably five or six, uh, probably five or six years ago, um, I just knew as I was praying that the Lord was calling me to really lead our church community at the time into wholeness. And, and wholeness basically means uh, it, it's sozo. You guys have heard the word sozo before in Scripture. And the word sozo is a word for salvation, but it's, it's a salvation that is, that is complete. It's not just a spiritual salvation, but it, it's body, it's mind, it's soul, it's spirit. It's... it's um, None of us will have it fully here on this earth, even though God says that we are that now. We won't see it all done until we cross over. Um, but it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of becoming whole, and, and, and loving one another in marriage should, should lend towards that sanctification, that, that process of becoming more like Jesus on this earth tangibly. Um, I want you to just uh, connect with this. Genesis 2.18, that's where... Um, God said he realized that it was not good for man to be alone and that he needed to find, he needed to, to, to create a suitable helper for man. Uh, the word there is azer. It's E-Z-E-R. And that's, the word is helper. And I think for many of us, the English translation for that, when you hear helper, it kind of sounds like uh, assistant, right? It kind of sounds like well, man was great and he was almost good enough, but he really needed an executive assistant. He really needed someone to kind of do his bidding. It's actually not what that means. And that's kind of good news probably for some of us, right? It's, it's not, you're, women are not the executive assistants of men. That's not what they are. Uh, as a matter of fact, here, here's how we know that. I'm not making that up. It's not my, it's not my angle. Here, here's how we know that. Uh, because the 20 other times in the Old Testament where the word azer is used, it refers to God himself. God is our azer. He is our ever-present help in trouble. 
So God is certainly not our assistant, right? He is the one we go to when we are in, in desperate need. We're, we're in need of rescue. So, so let's not allow anyone to make one of the sexes feel greater or lesser than the other. Isn't that right? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't, isn't that kind of good news when you, when you realize like there, this, there's significance, there's weightiness to the roles that God gives us? Um, so azer means it's help, and it's the, it's the kind of help that, that God gives. Let's jump forward from the Old Testament. So azer is the Hebrew word. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. So when we go to the New Testament and we look up the word for helper in Greek, so the form of azer is actually parakletos. Parakletos, and that is the Greek word for helper. And many of you guys here know what that, that word refers to overwhelmingly in the New Testament in Greek, and it refers to the Holy Spirit, who is also God. The Holy Spirit is our azer. The Holy Spirit is our parakletos. And, and the word paraclete, it means the helper that is by my side. Mm-hmm. By my side, not behind me, not in front of me the one that is by my side. There's significance to this. There, there's, a, there's a connection that's important. And I don't think it's any accident that in the, the creation account of Genesis, that, that we read how woman was formed. Do you guys do you connect with this for a second? Go back. Don't just say, well, God made man, then he made woman. No, how did he make woman? He took a rib from the side of Adam. And I don't believe that was just symbolic. I think that was meant to be how we are called to live. We are called to walk side by side, not in some subjugation. Mm-hmm. It's not a lesser than. Mm-hmm. It, it's a with. God wants us to walk together side by side for life. We know that the Holy Spirit has a whole lot of different jobs, and here are just a few of them. Um, comforting us in pain, um, in grief, how many of you guys have grieved and you have either a husband or wife or you have a really close friend who's walked side by side with you? How powerful is that? Um, I'm coming up on almost four years since my dad died. It'll actually be the Sunday of tribe. Um, that's the 29th of September and that's four years that my dad died. And I'm telling you what, I'm going to need my brothers on Sunday. I'm going to need it. And, and, and my wife has walked side by side with me powerfully. She's always been available to me as I've grieved the loss of my dad. I I am really, really sure that I couldn't have done it without her. The Holy Spirit also always walks alongside of us, married or single. He walks alongside of every person who calls on the name of Jesus. He also convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit does that. Um, You know what? My wife many times has called me out on things when I have a, a, a wrong attitude, and every time I resist it, every time I just want to be like, no, you don't understand. That's not what I was doing. Um, one, of the ways, uh, one of the ways that grief has affected me that I know of is sometimes, I, sometimes I'll just be angry. I'll feel anger, and sometimes that leaks out, um, leaks out in attitudes, leaks out in how I, and, and how I, and how I talk. Um, and, and Brandy knows that she can always come to me to just be like, hey, I... I think you need a little space from us or actually maybe we need a little space from you. Can you just sort of like go hang out by yourself for a while? Ouch. And it's true. It really is true. She has that, she's absolutely walked alongside me enough for me to still be frustrated when I hear it and for me also to know that it's true and do it. <laughs> Holy Spirit does these things too. Um, also, the Holy Spirit reveals truth and wisdom in the heart of the Father for us. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you how many times my wife has done that exact same thing. I can, I, I, can, I can hear something that is meant to actually propel me towards a good change. And, and maybe like a lot of you, my first response, my first inclination is actually to feel ashamed and want to disappear or, or just sort of beat myself up about it. And, and Brandy will, all, will oftentimes uh, take me and say, hey, listen, that's not what my heart is for you. Do, you. do you believe still almost 18 years into marriage that I'm for you? And usually I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Looking away even as I say it. And then it's like, yeah, 
I do. You've earned that right. So what is God's idea for a suitable helper? To provide someone who would walk with us in this life through all of the good, all of the bad, all of the ugly. And oftentimes would operate in a similar way to the things that the Holy Spirit does in us. To me, that's powerful. I don't want to confuse, I don't want to confuse, confuse wives with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so wives, if you're hearing that your job is to play the role of the Holy Spirit um, to your husband, just know that's not going to go well. <laughs> Husbands, I would say the same thing to you. Your job is not to play the role of the Holy Spirit. However, there are things that he has put in us to just act in certain ways without trying to manipulate and, and control a situation. But his desire is to bring us into the fullness of salvation that we need because of the sin that entered, entered people. The very first people on earth sinned in the Garden of Eden, and all of us do to this day. And once we receive the love of Jesus Christ, he promises that he will give us his Holy Spirit to walk us through the rest of our lives, the sanctification process of making us become more like Jesus. So ultimately, marriage is about this. It should be a picture of ushering each other to our eternal Eden. He's bringing us back to the garden, but the perfect garden, where we will be fully saved, we will be fully sozo in mind, body, and soul. And the truth is, the more whole you are, the more you walk away from the sin that weights you down and entangles you, the more fully your purpose is realized. Have you guys experienced that yet? As God takes certain things away from you, maybe it feels like he's doing it by force, and maybe he has just brought a conviction upon you where you are letting go of things that you thought you once needed. As you do that, you will always be, be walking into your next sense of purpose because God never takes, he never takes a trinket away from, from us and trinkets, the, the trinkets of sin and idolatry. He never takes those away from us and does not put something more valuable into our hands. And I think that's a powerful thing from God. Mm-hmm. And so our next point is this. When it comes to marriage, there's no relationship most likely that you're in if you're in a marital relationship that this one person can bring you more harm or more good. Is that, I mean, can we all overall pretty much agree with that? There's probably no one that's going to be able to influence Neil for the good or for the bad more powerfully than me, just by proxy, just by how much I'm like there influencing him. And so the next question that I have for you, that I'm asking myself as well, that maybe you could write down if this hits you and explore with God is this. Am I trustworthy with my spouse's heart? Because you're the one that has the power to bring the harm or to bring the good like nobody else. And one day, God is going to ask you about that. And in fact, he takes it so seriously. There's even a scripture. I don't, don't worry, I don't have it for up there. But there's even a scripture that addresses men. If your prayers aren't being answered... Um, check out how you're treating your wives. It actually is in there. And I'm sure it's true for women too. Basically what God is saying is how you treat your spouse matters to him a lot. And so am I trustworthy with the fact that I have this kind of power and this kind of influence over Neil? And scripture tells us in Hebrews 10:24 that we are to consider how we can spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds. You know, we've talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to just reiterate it again, that when it says that we're to consider how we can spur one another on, what that really means, that spur one another on, it actually means to discover or perceive. And, and technically, anyone that's in your life, you, ha- you can play a role in helping that person perceive or discover what their God-given gifts and talents are, their strengths. Uh, I've mentioned it before, that Greek word is the, is the iskus. We all have that. We all have strengths that God has given us, gifts that he's given us. Even if you're not a Christian, he gives gifts to every single person because we're all made in his image. It's just a matter of if we use that gift to his glory or not. But we all have them. And it's our job to see and perceive other people's gifts and call that out of them. Again, why? 
so that, it always goes back to this, so that God's love oozes out of us. When we use that iskus, when we use that strength, those resources, those strengths, those capabilities and abilities, those things that you just happen to have going for you, you don't happen to have them. God gave them to you. When you use those unto him, his glory and his love is coming out of you. So here's what I want to suggest. If God looks at a marriage relationship as one flesh, and even Paul talks later about that whole God sees this as one flesh, and it's a mystery to him too. It's like, okay, it's kind of weird, but you're two people, so I don't... he's even saying it's weird. But what we do know is that God sees like this as one flesh. So, to, so in... Go with me here. This might be weird, but if God sees me as one flesh, then we can agree that that means like I have a unique um, DNA. Under a microscope, I have a DNA that nobody else has. Only me. Only you. Only you have your fingerprint, your DNA, and, and your history, and your circumstances, and your strengths. But if God sees this as one flesh, that means somehow when he's looking under his like spiritual microscope, that there is a DNA that only exists between us. So then that suggests the same exact thing. It suggests that this marriage also has an iskus, if you will. This marriage has a history, circumstances, passions, strengths, uh, things going for it, resources and capabilities that other people's marriages don't necessarily have. Very, very specific to us. So in other words, when we join together before God and he looks at us as one flesh, for as long as we're operating here on this earth like this, he has a specific way that he wants his glory to leak out of us operating together. And I would like to suggest that when you discover and perceive what those ixus, those strengths that you have are as a married couple, and you operate in that, there is nothing, no joy deep down joy like it. If you feel like you've even tapped into that with your spouse, you know that I'm telling the truth, right? There is just something so extremely powerful about it. Um, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to say Rachel and Mark, like the way you open up your house, like that's not our iskus. I, I, I would just be worn down from that super, super quickly. I'm in <coughs> awe of the fact that you guys can do that. Some of you... Um, Tara and Lionel, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, I, I didn't ask permission for this, so I'm sorry if whatever, but you take, you take in uh, children and babies that are not your own, and it, and it kind of in and out of your home, and it's just like, wow, that's a lot of upheaval, at least that's how I, I look at it, and, I, you know, and I'm a pretty regimented person, so that would be really, woo, stressful. So, boy, what you guys do, that's just, that's God's glory, like, whoa, on full display. You know, and if you don't know what that thing is that you two have together, then my question for you is this. Ask God and ask other people because scripturally speaking, we're supposed to help each other discover those things. Maybe you're in a small group and people can express that to you. Maybe there's someone in your life who's been around you as a couple a lot and you could just literally ask them, like, what do you feel like we're good at that kind of shows the world love? Um, I actually came upon figuring out what one of our strengths as a married couple was by accident. And it's just because I noticed that kind of several people just ended up in this situation with us where, this might sound weird, but uh, years and years ago, early on in our marriage, there, there would be someone in a crisis. And because of the crisis, there was also a fair amount of depression, anxiety, overwhelming obstacles. And they would kind of end almost on our couch somehow, right? For, for months. For a long time. They would be there either literally living with us or just there a lot. And, and somehow God would use us in our opposite strengths because he has a real strength of, of counsel. And I just uh, have a strength of just being there with. I don't, I don't know what it is. She has a strength of counsel too. Maybe, I don't know. But, but anyway, what I have found is in all these years of marriage, it wasn't just that one person 17 years ago that landed on our couch in a crisis in need of a lot of just emotional and spiritual nurture. What I found is that God was actually going to bring that exact same situation in a different form over and over and over again. And I found that we somehow 
when there's someone in a crisis and they, they give a phone call or a text or knock on our door, we just kind of automatically just know, okay, this is what we do. And it works. And, and, and you have that thing too. And if you don't know what it is, maybe look at your patterns. Maybe look at what those things were that you were great at in the beginning before there were obstacles and tension. Maybe ask other people around you, has my marriage positively affected you? And guess what? There's no guilt and there's no shame, but there's plenty of room for growth. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have people that have experienced you as a married couple, well, then that's probably a place to start. Be operating as a married couple a little bit more. Fair, fair enough? Uh, and so Jesus himself said in John 17, 4, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. That's how the glory came out of Jesus. It wasn't just because he was. It was because of the work that was given to him to do, that exuded out of him, that that is what brought the glory. The glory is God's essence, his love. So there is a work. There is a glory that comes out of your marriage when you're both doing it. And I want to say this real quick. If you are married to a non-Christian, I don't want you to sit here and think, or maybe um, a Christian that's just not as like active in growing in their faith as maybe you wish. Um, I don't want you to be stumped by that because um, there's a couple uh, who I can't say, but there's a couple in my life that uh, I love dearly, but the wife has been a very mature Christian, alive in the faith, and, and for a very, very, very long time. And her husband was not. He was not interested. Occasionally, he would go to appease her. If they were going somewhere afterward, that was a good place to eat kind of thing. It, and so, but you know what's interesting? They still had a marital strength. They still had a marital gift that God gave them. And, and here's how I know that. Because she is the most phenomenal host you could ever imagine. And he loves to cook. And he's very good at it. He also is, a, he's a builder and he loves doing house projects. So their house is just always like, you know, on point. You know what I'm saying? They're always the house that's the most current. So their house is just this. So he likes having people over because he's proud of this house that he's made and worked on. And she likes having people over because she loves people and she loves to cook. And they have funneled more people in and out of their homes than anybody I know. And he was never necessarily doing it in order to show God's love, but it still was. The greatest thing, I have a great uh, finishing story for that particular couple. The greatest thing ever is that as they started inviting all these people into their home, God's also working on them. And he saw to it that there were plenty of Christians that came in and out of their homes and sat at their dinner tables and I want you to know that today, this man is a Christian. And he now, he's in church by her side most Sundays. But it happened by him using that spiritual strength. So I just don't want you to feel like you don't have a shot at this if you're um, with somebody that's not kind of at, mm -hmm. at your pace. And I'll just kind of wrap it up with this. Not only does your marriage have an iskus, and we need to be asking, what is that iskus, and start operating in it. Like any strength, like any strength, we get stronger by using it. So if you have that iskus, be using it. The more reps you do, the bigger you get, right? The bigger muscle you get. So be using it. A lot of these things may seem really like high, really elevated kinds of ideas. And it may seem frustrating, like how are we ever going to get there? Mm -hmm. Why did God set the standard for marriage like so extreme? Why did he set it so extreme, so high, so almost unattainable? Well, part of that is because he wanted us to have a relationship that we can view and go, I, I get it. I get that Jesus chose me. Not because I was perfect, but he saw something that he loved in me. And he wants to nurture it and bring it out of me and love me through it and let his love transform me. When we think about the fact that marriage parallels how Jesus felt for his church and what Jesus did for the church, the question is this, how far does that love go? How far does the love of Jesus Christ go for his church? It goes all the way to the cross. It goes through every single grief and comforts. It goes through every single trial and it sees it through. 
It goes through every weakness and seeks to, to strengthen and to help. It goes through every victory and it celebrates. It walks through lies and dispels them with truth. It walks through diagnosis and says, I'm here to help. I'm here to walk through this journey with you. It walks through the unknown and says, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'll be there with you. I will be there with you and I will endure. His love is enduring. And he wants us to see a physical representation of that so that we can begin to wrap our minds around this, this mystery of the gospel. Because as Paul says, what can separate us? What can separate us from the love of God? He says, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, anything in all of creation will even be able to separate us from the love that God has in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. Whether you're married or single, um, I, maybe you can relate to, to me on this one. Have you ever just read Scripture and just thought, why did God give us standards that were so high that we're literally destined to fail? Do you ever read and just go, I just am not good enough to do this? Literally every time I read Scripture, I feel that. Every time I read it, I think, why did God give us standards that even when we are, we are literally like, we are hitting on all cylinders. Every cylinder that we have, we're just hitting on that, and it, is, it still lacks. <laughs> we're hitting on all cylinders, everything. We're doing everything right. We're thinking the right way. We're, 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 we're trying to be as obedient as we can be to God, but we still literally cannot live up to perfection. Why did he give us the standard? That's where the band comes up. Oh, this is where the band comes up. <laughs> it turns out both of us can invite the band forward. It's to show us. The standard is to show us our inability to reach God and his standards on our own. It's to show us that we can't do it alone. Romans 5.20, it says that the law of God was given so that our sin would be exposed. God purposely gave us a standard that he knew that we couldn't attain so that we would recognize that we aren't good enough on our own. And thank God he didn't leave us there. Are you thankful today he didn't just say, you're not good enough to hell with you? He didn't say that. This is what he said. Galatians 3, 23 through 25, it explains what he did. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Here's what that means. You are free from striving to be perfect. You are free from trying to be good enough so that one day you hope that God will look at you and say, you did one more good thing than bad thing. Come enter the kingdom of heaven. You, can have, you, you could have done a whole lot of bad things if, if you've submitted yourself to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the deposit that we are given so that we know when we breathe our last breath, and that, here's the truth, one out of every one people dies. All of us will die. I know that, that's super encouraging for you know, 12-year-olds in the front row, but it's true. All of us will die one day, but because of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. We can trust that we have the Holy Spirit living in us if we've submit, given our lives to Jesus. We've submitted to Him. We've repented of our sin. And we say, Lord, I turn from my sin and I turn to You. So the question, the only question you really have to ask yourself today, it's not really about marriage at all. This is the central question that you have to ask yourself today. Have you been justified by faith? Or are you trying to be perfect today? Because if you're trying to be good enough, it's just religion. And religion does anything but make you whole. It actually does the opposite. 
religion makes you tired and worn out and honestly angry. We're not designed to try to be good enough. Acts 2.38 always tells us exactly how we can get on this path. You don't just get on the path because Jesus was historical and he lived and died and, and because he did all that, you can, you're just automatically like wrapped up into the family. This is a choice that is for you to make. No one can make it for you. And the choice is what will you do What do you need to do to be saved? And Peter told a crowd of Jews, and he tells crowds that gather today all over the U.S. and around the world as people gather today to hear about Jesus. The same question, the same offer uh, remains, uh, is given to you as, as was given to the Jews. Here's how you do it. You repent and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for all people. It's not for the select few. It's not for people who were born into the right families or had the right grandparents. It is for all of us if we would just do it. This week, Steve and I got to do one of the best things. We got to, we got to baptize two people in our community. And we love that. Listen, we would love to do that all day, every day. So if you want to give us a gift, we receive pizza, coffee, and we also love to baptize people. That was not so subtle, right? But we love to do it. Our leadership loves to help people take those steps to say yes to Jesus because we celebrate. It is a celebration for us when you say yes to Jesus and we get to to walk you into that next part of your faith journey. That's the answer. The question really isn't, you know, are you going to be married or not and how is that going to work out? The question for all of us is, Are we justified by faith or are we trying to do it on our own? So I encourage you today, choose Jesus so that you don't have to keep trying to be good enough. Would you pray for us? Sure, I'd love to. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we're going to take a second to pray for you as we go into this final song. Lord, thank you for all of the, the unique and creative ways that you have chosen to show humanity your love. Lord, if, um, if there are areas that are hindering us, if there are weights on us, obstacles in our lives, or sins that entangle any of us from being complete and full in you, I pray that you would reveal that to us. Not because we're supposed to feel bad or shame, but because you so desire to more fully upload us with your love. Lord, I pray that today we would walk out of here hopeful, just realizing just exactly how much you love us. And I pray that in every relationship that we've talked about in this series, whether it's marriage, whether it's our church relationships or just relationships in the world, I pray that your love would be always before us in every single thing we do. In your name we pray, amen.